Welcome in everyone, my name is Farzine Vesugian and this is the Chiefstone Podcast. I greatly appreciate all of you guys taking the time to download and listen to this episode of the Chiefstone Podcast. Hope you guys had a great weekend as we are now pretty much in the dead period for the NFL. This is the time where things start to get a little quiet right now. Uh, Rookie minicamp underway for... All of the teams, OTAs, are going to get underway very soon. And then from that point in early June, all the way through mid to late July, it's going to be different for every team. Uh, Training camp is going to get underway. And the next couple of months, pretty much uh, that's the downtime in the NFL. But still, there are some things to talk about. On this episode, we'll talk about Chiefs rookie minicamp with some of the players that made some highlights. McCall Hardman. Juan Thornhill, Nick Allegretti, just to name a couple of players who have been making headlines this past weekend. We'll talk about some of those guys, and especially Allegretti. Some interesting uh, news coming out that Allegretti may actually have a shot at starting despite being a seventh-round pick. Is that a realistic possibility for him? If history tells us anything, Allegretti's actually got a really good shot. I'll tell you why later on in this episode. Also, the Chiefs handed out one of the biggest contracts to an undrafted wide receiver. We'll talk about that player and what he can bring to the table for Kansas City potentially. Should be very interesting. Uh, Going to go over some of the list of players at rookie minicamp. Uh, there are some draft picks, some rookie free agents, and there are a lot of players that are uh, trying out as well for the Chiefs. Uh, a lot of people trying to... I mean, this is essentially their training camp to make sure they can make it into OTAs and then make it into training camp. So uh, a lot of activity going on for all 32 NFL teams. Uh, For some of these football players, this is their last chance to try to make an impression for NFL teams. Maybe they get picked up elsewhere in training camp in July. Uh, But for a lot of these players, it may be their last chance. Uh, A couple of notable names, some local guys who I think you guys may want to hear about. We'll talk about that in the NFL getting into the overtime idea. Potentially both teams getting possession. We'll talk about that. Is it going to work? Will people complain less about that? We'll discuss that later on. And also some outrage regarding Tyreek Hill from the national media. If you guys want to interact with me, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine 21. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share the links as well. Let me just address one quick thing right now because I'm pretty sure 99% of you are listening because you want to hear me address a certain topic, which I'll get to. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw my exchange and it wasn't anything vulgar or immature, uh, at least on my end, I'd like to think. Uh, maybe on the other person's end, uh, probably so. But Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report, uh, I basically asked him a question, is what I did. And I'll save the topic for later, but he was very critical of the whole Tyreek Hill situation, how the NFL has not done anything. And that's what I was just talking about when I teased that segment for later in the show, how the uh, how there's outrage from the national media. And Mike Freeman, he... Had a lot to say. I asked a very simple question because I, I really wanted his opinion on this. And he completely took it the wrong way. Started putting words into my mouth. And 
went on to block me. Now, I don't care for being blocked, but as someone who is who went to college and graduated with a journalism degree, as someone who's worked in the media, as someone, as someone myself, I consider myself an outspoken person and heavily opinionated. I mean, God knows I, I'm very opinionated on social media. <laughs> you guys see that. Um, but Mike Freeman, I mean, this guy's a columnist for Bleacher Report, and this guy is full of opinions, and... I guess the moment I challenged him with, I challenged his opinion with a very simple question. I mean, the, the guy was mad because I guess my question was too difficult for him to answer. I'll talk about that later on in the podcast because I've got some things to say about what happened there. And I think this also deserves uh, some sort of discussion here because we're in 2019 now and whether you support the president of the United States or not, um, you know, I don't, but neither here nor there, he, he does have somewhat of a point. Now, I know he says this because of the criticism around him. He only wants positive news, but at the same time, he does have a valid point to an extent when he criticizes the media and how they cover things, not just with politics, I mean, that's the only time he, he criticizes the media is, is how he's covered. But the way the media goes about its business, especially heavily opinionated columnists like Mike Freeman, they give journalism and sports media, media in general, a very bad name. And I think we need to have a discussion about why columnists in media today need to have an open mind about these kinds of things. So that is where that topic was pretty much inspired from my, I don't know what you want to call it, a debate or something with Mike Freeman. Basically, he lost his cool because I asked an easy question, but I'll, I'll address that later. So for those of you wanting to hear me talk about Mike Freeman, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that child later on. In the, I, I don't even know what to call him. And look, for people who want to say, oh, you're bitter, and I'm not bitter because I'm blocked. Trust me. I, I mean, I block people, no problem. By the way, I had people tell me, oh, don't you block people? Yeah, of course I did. I even, I even said it before you could, but I, I truly do take issue with the way a columnist, a columnist, excuse me, responded to such an easy question, which was challenging his opinion. Uh, I, I, I am kind of upset about that. Uh, I, I've never had an issue with Mike Freeman, but apparently uh, he takes issue with people who do not agree with him. And again, I think that is wrong not just in sports media, but in journalism overall. And I want to discuss that at the end of the podcast. But for right now, going over rookie minicamp, and I know a lot of people are excited to hear about how the draft picks look while they're out there, and OTAs are going to be coming up soon, and and, and there are going to be a lot of exciting plays. You'll see it OTAs, but let me just give you guys a a friendly reminder. Whether it's rookie minicamp, which is wrapping up now, whether it's OTAs, whether it's training camp, you're going to see spectacular plays made by a lot of players who you may have never heard of, even some key players, uh, pro bowlers on the team that you have heard of. Let me just be clear. Keep keep a level-headed mindset when you hear about these kinds of things because these are guys going up against their own teammates. And yeah, sure, they're, uh, don't get me wrong. They're, 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 they're giving it their all. They're putting forth the effort, but... They're not going at 100% full speed because this is not a live game. You do not intentionally try to tackle someone real hard 
in minicamp OTAs and in training camp. You save that against real opponents in real games. You'll see harder hits in preseason games than you will in training camp and OTAs and such. Obviously, the quarterback, he's pretty much untouchable in all of these practices. So keep that in mind when you hear certain guys making highlights. I'm not saying you can't be excited about them, but maybe I I, I just feel like sometimes there's too much excitement with these kinds of things sometimes. But with that said, some of the highlights from rookie minicamp this past weekend, uh, McCall Hardman, I, I think, is the biggest one. A lot of people are talking about him. Given the recent Tyreek Hill update, which we'll get into later on, still pending, uh, investigation still underway. We still don't have an answer as to what's going on with Tyreek Hill, still currently suspended. But with the way it's looking right now, the Chiefs might have two Tyreek Hills. And I got a couple of tweets, people saying, well, this guy's not exactly like Tyreek Hill. But Adam Teicher, who is with uh, ESPN.com, he wrote a really nice article talking about how this weekend kind of help prove that McCall Hardman has a lot of similarities to Tyreek Hill. And, I mean, speed is a big one. And let me just say this, too, because a guy like Hardman didn't put up a lot of flashy numbers when he was in college. But there was a reason why he was taken in the second round, especially with a guy like DK Metcalf. And a lot of people criticized the Chiefs for trading up in the second round to make this move. Yet, a lot of people were unaware of the fact that there actually was another team out there that was interested in Hardman, and the Chiefs pulled the trigger first. That's why they traded up for him, because they knew they really wanted him and knew that somebody else was targeting Hardman as well. And I think this is going to be a very exciting season to see how this offense does. You know what Patrick Mahomes is capable of. He's going to make everyone around him better. Uh, and sure, the, the, everyone else uh, that he's around will make him better too. But let's keep one thing in mind. In Mahomes' first year as a starter... He really helped out Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Those guys had the best season of their careers statistically. Travis Kelsey, again, very briefly, and I feel like I say this a lot, very briefly held the record for most receiving yards by a tight end in NFL history in a, in a single season. And again, he, he did it under Patrick Mahomes, with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. And then Tyree Kill, he broke the Chiefs' single-season record for receiving yards in one season. So you're seeing guys around Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Tyreek Hill, who's made the Pro Bowl every year since he's been in the NFL, and Travis Kelsey, who has been one of the best tight ends in the league since he started playing. He didn't play his rookie year in 2013. 2014 is when he started to play. And his level of play has only gone up since then. Uh, just when you think that these guys have reached their potential, at least from a stat standpoint, uh, statistically speaking, these guys are continuing to do even more now. And I think Patrick Mahomes is a big part of that. What about a guy like Hardman? How is he going to do with Patrick Mahomes throwing in his direction? And I think you got to feel excited about what this offense is capable of. Again, Tyreek Hill, which looks like he could be in the clear now with everything going on in, in the uh investigation, incident, whatever whatever you want to call that. Uh, but Tyreek Hill, you have him on the right side, you have Hardman on the left side, and gosh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has a plethora of options. If, for whatever reason, neither Hardman or Hill are open, you, you know you got a guy like Sammy Watkins, who also has a nice speed, who you can rely on. You have Travis Kelsey, who's the fastest tight end in the NFL, and also the best tight end in the league. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, I keep saying his name, I think he's always a viable target for, for Patrick Mahomes, and 
I know I say this a lot as well, but running backs always do well under Andy Reid, especially in the passing game. So this is an offense that it would be a major disappointment if if this offense doesn't do what it did last season. As far as being the third highest scoring offense in NFL history, this offense has the ability to do that again, maybe even be a little bit better than that. Kind of crazy to say, but that is a realistic possibility right now. The only two concerns I have are with the Chiefs offense right now, the offensive line and an injury to the quarterback. I think with any NFL team that has a well-rounded offense, an elite offense, like the Patriots, like the Colts, and you know what? I think Patriots fans and Colts fans would be the first to admit, yeah, an injury is all we really fear at this point. Because look at Tom Brady uh, ha- happened against Kansas City in 2008 when he went down with uh, with the torn ACL. Now, New England went on to win, win 11 games with Matt Castle, but oddly enough, wasn't uh, wasn't enough to make the playoffs that year for New England. You look at the past couple of years before 2018, Andrew Luck was absent. He missed a lot of games, a year and a half with the Indianapolis Colts. And then when he came back, the Colts, I mean, they had probably the second best offense in the NFL behind Kansas City. So really at this point, uh, for me, the offensive line, it, it, mainly the, the the middle of the offensive line, a bit of a concern for me. Not exactly sure what kind of production you're, you're going to get there. And then after that, it's just really injuries at this point. Uh, and even if you, even if Tyreek Hill suffers an injury or if Sammy Watkins uh, struggles to stay away from the training room, you've got a lot of guys who can fill in and, and, and do some special things on this football team. You've got a lot of options in this offense. And that's what's so nice about what we have right now in Patrick Mahomes. And you've got a very creative, offensive-minded guy and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who showed off his creativity as an offensive coordinator, and there was a reason why he was close to getting a head coaching gig in the NFL, despite being an OC for just one year. And man, I, given the talent on this football team, I think it's going to make Eric Bieniemy look very good. And he's got to get some sort of a head coaching job after 2019. You'd think, and I don't want to look too far ahead, but it does seem realistic that it, it, it could happen to Eric Bieniemy if this offense continues to perform at a high level once again. And McCall Hardman could be a big factor in that. Uh, going to be very fun to watch this year. On the other side of the of the football, you look at the defense that's trying to improve from its 31st rank uh, in the league. And the first draft pick from Kansas City on the defensive side was Juan Thornhill, who made a spectacular play picking off TJ Litton, and I mentioned this before, and I it didn't get a lot of attention on social media, and this is one of the things I really want Chiefs fans to know. This guy was in the top five in college football last year in interceptions and interception return yards. Oddly enough, he never had a pick six in his college football career, yet he's had so many return yards off interceptions. Listen, Patrick Mahomes on the on the field is already dangerous enough. To have Patrick Mahomes to give him great field position, whether it's a great interception return or a great punt return or a great kick return, I mean, you are just giving Mahomes, you're making it easier and easier for Mahomes. And look, this is a football team that is capable of 
setting the Chiefs up with great field position. You've got some good cornerbacks and safeties on this football team. Bashad Breland, Kendall Fuller, and, and two very good safeties. And Tyron Matthew and I think Juan Thornhill will quickly climb his way up the ladder as a starter in the NFL on this football team. And if those guys can get their hands on on a few footballs as the season goes along, I mean, these are guys who are not just going to get tackled right away. These are guys who are going to turn around and try to run as much as they can to set up the offense with great field position or even better, take it to the end zone, take it to the promised land. So you've got that going for you defensively. I mean, that's the hype that I'm getting with this defense right now. As far as special teams goes, look, I know last year not the greatest season for Kansas City special teams-wise. It was kind of a a step-back year for Dave Tobes special teams, but uh, I I think that one year was just a fluke. It's only one time where you've seen that happen with Kansas City special teams. I think 2019 is going to be a bounce-back year for Dave Tobe. I mean, who are you going to have take uh, kick returns back? You've got so many options. You've got Tyreek Hill. You've got Juan Thornhill, uh, Tremont Smith. As a guy who handled a lot of the kick return duties. Uh, I mean, you've got so many guys on this football team who have great speed and can do so many things. Darwin Thompson, I, I think, is another guy uh, to maybe consider uh, for return duties. Uh, this offense is going to be thanking the defense and special teams return units quite a lot in 2019. Because the odds of Patrick Mahomes getting the football... At his own 40 or beyond that, it's very likely that he's, he sees that happen a lot with this football team. Because you've got a guy in Tremont Smith who did some good things as a kick returner, I thought, in 2018. Had a couple of big returns, no touchdowns, but a couple of really big returns. One against Seattle and one against uh, New England in Week 6, both Sunday Night Football games. You had Tyreek Hill in his first punt return of the season, which was the very first time the Chiefs maintained possession of the football. Took it all the way back for a touchdown, so the Patrick Mahomes era essentially had to wait a little bit longer. And you've got a few other options. I know DeAnthony Thomas did some good things, but his season was cut short and he's no longer on the football team. Not sure if there's a possibility that he returns to Kansas City at some point. Uh, I know he's still a free agent right now, and I know the Chiefs were probably more patient with him than they expected. I think the things that the Chiefs expected from guys like Dexter McCluster and DeAnthony Thomas, that's what Tyreek Hill is doing right now. Uh, But again, I think you can still do some special things with DeAnthony Thomas on this football team, uh, depending if he comes back or not. We'll see what what happens there. I know he was arrested earlier this offseason for possession of marijuana, if I remember correctly, so... Not the worst thing in the world to get in trouble for, but uh, I know uh, it's never a good thing to get in trouble, period. So we'll see how that all pans out. But at the end of the day, man, you've got a really good football team uh, that can set up your offense with good field position. I'm I'm very interested to see, and I don't think there is a... Well, actually, I take that back. I'm sure there is a place out there, and maybe they don't publish these kinds of things, but maybe it shows... How many times an offense uh, takes over with great field position starting from their own 40 or better? Uh, there's got to be a stat for that somewhere. And I don't know what I'd put the over under on uh, for that. I, I, I'm not sure what would be a 
really good over-under for something like this, but I've got a feeling the Chiefs are going to have great field position uh, to start off with offensively plenty of times, at least once a game. Uh, I think that's I think that's a possibility. I'm not sure. Uh, I think this football team can do some really special things when it comes to getting interception return yards and punt return yards, kick return yards. I think that is something that I'm really looking forward to, especially defensively, uh, especially w- w- with the red zone, because that is where you are challenged the most. Can you come away with a turnover? In the red zone, when teams are within striking distance and you get that takeaway when they're about to score, because that can be a big swing in football games. It really can be. If you guys remember in what year was it? I want to say it was 2013. Yeah, it was 2013. I think Sean Smith, he was going up against the Buffalo Bills. Jeff Toole, I think, was the quarterback. He was filling in. And the Bills were, I think, just a couple of yards away from getting to the end zone, and Sean Smith, when the, when the score was 10-3, Kansas City trailing on the road, Sean Smith gets a pick six and takes it all the way back for a touchdown to tie the game at 10, when the Bills should have found a way to make it 17-3, to and I mean, those are momentum changers, that's a big swing right there on the scoreboard. I'm wondering if this defense can do that kind of thing with their with their secondary. That is where this defense is going to be challenged the most coming off the 31st total defense ranking. That's a big reason why they drafted Juan Thornhill. They want to improve from that 31st rank and adding guys like Tyron Matthew, uh, keeping Kendall Fuller on this football team, bringing in Bashad Breland. Uh, a couple of those names I mentioned they wanted last year in free agency, got him this year instead. We'll see how they do for the Chiefs in 2019. I'm very excited for this defense. Uh, I think this defense can do some special things. I know I might be in the minority minority thinking that. I know last year I was probably one of four people in Kansas City probably optimistic about the defense. I know how that went, but at the same time, Cole led the NFL in sacks, so it's not like this defense was terrible all around. Uh, 2018 was a very odd year for Kansas City's defense. I've never seen a team co-lead the NFL in sacks while finishing in 31st. And a lot of people blame Bob Sutton, and I think that's a huge reason why Bob Sutton was let go. We'll see if Steve Spagnuolo can change, uh, turn the tables and give the Chiefs better fortune on the football field in 2019. Because that's the big reason why you made that switch at defensive coordinator. You know your defense is capable of making special plays, but the scheme that this defense was playing under just was not getting the job done. Not at all. Now, going back to the offense, because I thought one of the more intriguing stories from the weekend had to do with rookie center Nick Allegretti, who was taken in the seventh round by the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's a lot of talk that he might have a chance at starting for Kansas City at center in 2019. So here's who you have at center right now. You have Austin Reeder, And behind him, you have James Murray, who was an undrafted free agent last year. And Austin Reeder, formerly with the Cleveland Browns, uh, he he, he saw some action last year 
when Mitch Morse was absent. And Mitch Morse, uh, he did a phenomenal job here in Kansas City. Now moving on with the Bills, and there's a reason why. He's now the highest-paid center in the NFL. But now the Kansas City Chiefs, and Morse did miss some games due to injury over his time in, in KC. Uh, Reader filled in and did, did a good job at times. Now, you're probably looking for depth. That's probably why you drafted Allegretti, but Allegretti also does have a good resume. I know a lot of times these guys taken in the 5th, 6th, 7th rounds, basically second-day picks, uh, a 4th rounder included as well. A lot of times these guys, and keep one thing in mind, a lot of these 250-some-odd players that you see get drafted and, and a few notable undrafted guys, these are guys who... Start a lot of games in college football. These are all guys that had great careers in college football. Just because they were taken late doesn't mean it's because they were bad football players during their time in college. A lot of times these guys uh, start a lot of games, but maybe did not face the greatest competition. Maybe did not have the greatest combine. or Maybe their, their Wonderlick score maybe wasn't bad. Maybe there were certain things that... Scouts were unimpressed with in pro days or at the combine, in private workouts, whatever the case may be. Uh, there's a reason why uh, a lot of players who had great careers in college, uh, sometimes uh, players who were on first team all-conference or second team all-conference, and they unfortunately dropped into the later rounds or even went undrafted. And that's the case with a guy like Dick Allegretti. Uh, started all 12 games last year with Illinois, but just because he is an offensive lineman taken very late doesn't mean he does not have a shot at being a primary starter in 2019. Now, maybe he starts in week one, maybe he doesn't, but there's a possibility that he could start a majority of the games at center for Kansas City in 2019. Uh, maybe it happens with an injury to, to Reader, or maybe it happens based on the fact that Allegretti is playing better than Reader uh, in uh, training camp and in preseason games, or maybe early on in the 2019 regular season. But listen, uh, let's not forget something. This Kansas City football team, they've, they haven't drafted a lot of offensive linemen. But the offensive linemen they've drafted under Andy Reid, they have played a lot of football games. Let me start with 2013. Eric Fisher, number one overall pick. Okay, this one's a bit of a given here. Uh, Out of the 94 games Fisher has appeared in, he has started 90 of them. Then you look at later in the 2013 draft, Eric Cush was taken in the sixth round, uh, only appeared in three games and started one of them. And that one start was in 2013. 2014 was a very interesting year for Kansas City. Kansas City took two offensive linemen in the sixth round, Zach Fulton and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. And you look at their careers, they've actually done pretty well for, despite being sixth round picks. Fulton actually started all 16 games his rookie year with the Chiefs. LDT didn't play his rookie year with the Chiefs. You look at Fulton, he has started 69 of the 76 total games in his career. And for LDT, like I said, didn't even play his rookie year. But since then, he has started 43 of 46 games that he has appeared in. Obviously, he missed a lot of games this year due to an injury, but, uh, I mean, he has been a very key factor for Kansas City's offensive line. He did get that long-term extension, one of the last contracts John Dorsey gave up before his departure, before his firing. 
And LDT, I mean, there's a reason why he landed that kind of a deal. Uh, the guy was very underrated coming out of out of college, and here he is, one of the better guards in the NFL today. Uh, 2018, maybe not a reflection of that, but prior to that, he's always been one of the underrated guards in the NFL. 2015, the Chiefs drafted Mitch Morse out of Mizzou in the second round, and he started every game that he appeared in, uh, 49 games he played as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs in the, in the regular season. Parker Enniger uh, in 2016, who was a fourth-round pick, started four of five games in 2016, only saw action in one game in 2017. 2017, the Chiefs never dra- they didn't draft any offensive linemen. 2018, uh, they drafted Khalil McKenzie, uh, a defensive lineman converting to, uh, to the offensive line, has yet to make his NFL debut, has yet to see action on the field, was a sixth-round pick. And here we are with Nick Allegretti, the sixth offensive lineman, Drafted by Andy Reid in seven years. Seven drafts under Andy Reid. And Allegretti, the I believe the first offensive lineman to be taken in the seventh round since Andy Reid has been with the Chiefs. So I just read you the list right there. These are offensive linemen. Again, most of them drafted pretty late, but they've seen more time, more, a lot of significant playing time, probably more playing time than most of the players at their positions or drafted around this time. So look, I mean, if you want to look back at the seven drafts that the Chiefs have had under Andy Reid, all seven all seven years, all seven drafts, the Chiefs have not drafted a lot of offensive linemen, but the offensive linemen that they have drafted, they've played a key role for the Chiefs. Uh, Fisher has obviously started a lot of games. Eric Cush didn't play a whole lot. Mitch Morse started every game possible. Uh, Parker Enniger, uh didn't have a long career in Kansas City. In fact, they traded him uh, to Dallas for Charvarius Ward, if I remember correctly. He is uh, Enniger is now with Jacksonville. Uh, but even his rookie year, he started four games. How many fourth-round uh, offensive linemen start four games their rookie year? You don't see a lot of offensive linemen that were uh, third-day draft picks see that much action on the field. Uh, Khalil McKenzie, I mean, he's only had one year in the NFL, so maybe the jury's still out on him. And then Nick Allegretti, uh, a guy who was in the seventh run, and there's already hype around him that he could be a, a primary starter for the Chiefs at center. So, again, the, the history's out there. And I mentioned uh, Zach Fulton and LDT, I think, are the best examples. They were both sixth-round picks from the same draft class and Zach Fulton, yeah, there were there were a lot of injuries that year in 2014, especially at the offensive line, and and I think that's part of the reason why Fulton uh, was was able to see that that much playing time. But even then, it was it wasn't just hey, let's just put Zach Fulton on the field. Zach Fulton actually did some really good things his rookie season. So you look at Kansas City and their history of drafting offensive linemen under Andy Reid. Again, seven drafts so far. A lot of these offensive linemen have managed one way or another, whether it's through injuries or if it's just better play in preseason games or in training camp, they have found a way to get on the field. And I think the same thing can happen to Nick Allegretti. I think there's a good chance that Allegretti does start. Maybe not in week one, maybe not in the first quarter of the season, but I think at some point, uh, I think Allegretti is going to 
finished his season as the center for the Kansas City Chiefs, the starting center. Let me know your thoughts on that or anything we've discussed so far. Facebook.com slash Farzine Masugi and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. This is very interesting, by the way. Uh, the Chiefs, uh, obviously, they went after some rookie free agents and they invited some players for tryouts. So a lot of times with these undrafted free agents, it's obviously not guaranteed that they will play in the regular season. So they do have some sort of a financial guarantee in the offseason. The Chiefs, they brought in a wide receiver from Syracuse by the name of Jamal Custis with, according to Adam Schefter, uh, the biggest offseason contract by an undrafted wide receiver in the last two years at $100,000 guaranteed. That's quite a lot for an undrafted guy. Uh, quite a lot. He led Syracuse with six touchdown grabs and 906 receiving yards on the team. He had 51 catches, not even leading the team. Uh, not even close, in fact. He was actually 13 catches behind his teammate, Sean Riley, who had 150 fewer yards than Jamal Custis. Uh, Custis was second team All-ACC. And by the way, I mentioned the 51 catches he had in 2018. Before 2018, he only had 13 catches in all of his college career. And again, 13 in three years, 51 in his last year. So uh, he really had that big spark his senior year. That was his uh, break, break breakthrough season where he managed to shine, and essentially that earned him a spot on the second-team All-ACC list, and obviously good enough to not just get on, not become an undrafted signee, but earning himself a $100,000 guarantee. Undrafted free agents don't really get that kind of a deal. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's pretty significant for Jamal Custis to get that. What does he bring to the table? Well, I think it's kind of interesting that the Chiefs are giving him this much money. They obviously, I mean, they've got to feel pretty good about the guy if they're that confident in him. And look, all I've got to say is when you have Patrick Mahomes on your football team, you look at the list, and by the way, the Chiefs have a, a, a lot of wide receivers, as you can imagine, that are in for tryouts. Uh, I mean, there, there are guys who you've probably never heard of, a lot of guys from smaller schools. If Patrick Mahomes was forced to play football with some of these guys who are trying out some of these wide receivers. Maybe it doesn't go too well on the field, but I think Mahomes could make these guys around him look good. I think there's a possibility. So, listen, Jamal Custis, he, he obviously had that breakthrough season, but there's always the question of, okay, you had one great year. What else can you do beyond that? Maybe we'll find out in Kansas City if uh, he makes his football team. And if he's the fifth or sixth wide receiver on the football team, maybe there's a chance that he gets... A little bit of playing time on Sundays or Mondays, Thursdays, whenever. And maybe Mahomes targets him a couple of times. If he can catch the football, well then, uh, that's your opportunity to prove that maybe you should make your way up the depth chart a little bit. That's all you can really say right now about Jamal Custis. Uh, there is a reason why he went undrafted. I, I mean, same thing with, I mentioned with Allegretti. There's a reason why he's a seventh round pick. Uh, but that doesn't mean these guys don't deserve a shot. I, I remember the Pro Football Hall of Fame account. Uh, I believe they tweeted something uh, right after the draft saying there there are more undrafted free agents in the Pro Football Hall of Fame 
the number one overall picks. Now, look, there are far more. If you want to look at the list of number one overall picks and undrafted free agents in NFL history, I mean, undrafted free agents outweigh the number of number one overall picks, but number one overall picks are supposed to have the better careers. There's a reason why they went number one overall, yet we have more undrafted free agents in the hall than the top overall picks. And I think maybe, you know, that, that's something something to keep in mind. Uh, I'm not saying Joel, I'm not saying let's put Joel Custis in there, but what I'm saying is, hey, look, uh, there have been a lot of players in Custis' position, and they needed a chance. Some teams took the risk, brought them in, gave them a contract, and they made the best of it. Maybe Jamal Custis could follow that path. Maybe not necessarily a Hall of Fame path, but at least in some way be a key contributor on this football team. One other topic I wanted to get into, it's the NFL considering the overtime rule, or at least trying to allow both teams to get possession. Now look, I don't want to spend too much time on this. You guys know my my thoughts. I'm not blaming the AFC Championship loss on the coin toss. I mean, the D4 offsides, that was a huge one. Uh, Being shut out in the first half was another big one. No reason to let that happen when you have the third highest scoring offense in NFL history. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a couple of drops in this game. Tyreek Hill had that negative punt return that uh, shortly after that, it helped uh, New England eventually get a field goal. So... There were a lot of things that happened. Eric Berry had a drop pick in this in, in that football game. A lot of things happened in that football game. Uh, not getting possession in overtime is far from the reason why the Chiefs lost, but there's a lot of outrage because the Chiefs had the league MVP in this high-scoring system, and that offense did not get a chance to touch the football in the second uh, in overtime. Excuse me. Let me just say this. Let's assume they. Create a rule, okay? First team to uh, uh, touch the football, you can do whatever you want. Kick a field goal, score a touchdown, go for two, and succeed. Regardless what happens, team two will get will get a chance. They'll possess the football. And I can already just see the outrage. If team one scores a touchdown and goes for one, but if team two scores and goes for two and succeed, well, people are going to be outraged saying, well, look, had we known that Team 2 was going to go for it, maybe my team would have gone for it. Uh, I mean, there, there's going to be outrage there. Here's another way how outrage can come into play here. If, if a team scores first, if they score a touchdown, let's say, and the second team scores a touchdown, and they they both score seven in, in, in overtime, then if Team 1 gets possession back and they kick a field goal once they get to the red zone, well, then fans of the opposite team, they're, they're going to complain and say, well, they got two possessions, we got one. And generally, that's how it works in a 15-minute period, which if you do allow two possessions and if they both score the same way, well, then once the third possession of the game takes place, the third drive of the period... Uh, it's probably going to end up t- taking up the entire length of that overtime period. Fifteen, assuming they go back to fifteen minutes. I don't like the ten minute period in overtime. I think it, uh, it is absolutely dumb. But uh, man, I, I, I'm not sure uh, how I feel. Uh, I think there will still be complaining, even if 
one team has more possessions than the other in overtime. Another area where I feel like this overtime rule can lead to more complaints if there is uh, an adjustment made. Let's say Team 1 gets possession, they win the coin toss, they, they get the ball first. And three plays into the drive, they throw an, uh, an interception all the way back. They, uh, pick six, essentially. Fans are going to be outraged. They're going to say, well, my team only had three plays. They didn't get a chance to have a long drive to show themselves. And people are going to complain then. Look, I'm not trying to be Miss Clear or anything here, but I, I just know that no matter what rule adjustment you make with overtime, somebody's going to complain. In fact, a lot of people are going to complain. Uh, even if you let both teams get possession, a team might get two possessions and score in both of them, and the other team might only get one in overtime, and people are going to complain about the uneven number of possessions. One team goes for one, the second team goes for two and succeeds, and there's going to be outrage there. Well, my team didn't know that the second team was going to go for two. There are so many things right now. Again, I, I don't mean to be so negative on this topic, but I just don't know what rule... Tr- A lot of people are saying give both teams possession. Okay, fine, but once we see the outcome in overtime such as a pick six or a team going for two, the second team with possession going for two, I think that's where the outrage will come into play. Is there a way to make everybody happy? No, there never is. People are are always going to complain no matter what. But I don't know truly what you could do to create a rule that would satisfy all the owners, all the coaches, all the players, and all the fans. I don't know what what you could do. We already have a topic about this going on on the Facebook page, so join me on there, facebook.com slash Farzim and let me know your thoughts. Uh, what, what ideas do you have for overtime? How do you think it should go? Somebody mentioned do something similar, similar to uh, penalty shootouts where... Kickers both line up. Uh, you should probably do it on the same side for, you know, especially if it's pretty windy. You start at the 25-yard line. Both kickers kick a field goal. Then at the 30, the 40, and so on until uh, one. Kind of like a penalty shootout format, which I kind of think is actually pretty cool. I would actually be in favor of that if there was in need of a second overtime. So instead of ending things in a tie, you do that kicker penalty shootout type of thing. I think it'd be cool, but I don't think the NFL is going to want to do anything like that. So let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Alright, I know this is the part of the show where everyone's tuning in because of what happened with me on Twitter with Mike Freeman. So let me just set the stage here. Per, uh, let me just uh, add one thing to this. Uh, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, he has been very critical of the fact that the NFL has done nothing with Tyreek Hill right now. Even though the letter came out from the attorney and the text messages, uh, apparently some people out there want to disregard that. And let me just say one thing before I move on. I, I, I've i admitted on this podcast last episode and on, on social media multiple times that I was... By the way, I love people who... And it's not a lot of people doing this, it's very few, but... 
I, I mean, someone on the Facebook page, I don't remember her name, but she goes, oh, now you're defending Tyreek Hill. You were bashing him. Yes, I even addressed that. Where were you when I made that comment? Sure enough, there was no follow-up response to that. But, you know, I've admitted to jumping to conclusions a little bit early. I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that you were wrong. But I think we're getting to the point now where people maybe jumped uh, too early to conclusions and they don't want to admit that they were wrong in doing that because of the new information that came out with Tyreek Hill. We're in a world now where journalists don't want to admit that they were wrong. I mean, not just your average fans. We're talking columnists don't want to admit defeat. They cannot afford to take an L for their ego's sake. But Mike Florio, who's been very critical of the whole situation, saying he doesn't know if he can cover football. Come on. Of course you're going to cover football again, even if Tyreek Hill plays. But he says, this was on Sunday morning. Ten days since the audio came out, and the NFL has done nothing about the about Tyreek Hill. Mike Freeman responds in, uh, to that article and says, This level of inaction is a disgrace, a total disgrace. And... Mike Freeman also said that on the tape, he told uh, his fiance, you need to be terrified of me too, dumb expletive. And look, I mean, that's horrific. Of course, that's something that needs to be discussed. Uh, I mean, no one can say that it's okay for Tyreek Hill to say that. I don't think anyone's defending him at all. Uh, But Mike Freeman is basically criticizing the NFL. He wrote this on Twitter. He said, the NFL is slow walking this hoping everything dies down. Nothing to do with process playing out all about PR. So I responded to him, and and again, it's just a question. I want to know, since he's so critical of the NFL for doing nothing, I said, given the attorney's letter, what would you do right now if you're the commish, Mike? His response, what does the trash letter full of propaganda and text that seem fake have to do with anything? And I responded to him, I said, dude, you didn't even answer the question. What would you do if you were the commissioner? And apparently he says, he says, who says I have to answer to your question? And so I tell him, dude, you like to criticize and jump to conclusions, which I admitted I did that. But he doesn't like it when someone challenges his opinion with a regular question. And he basically then responds and says, no, accusing me of being a homer and says I'm defending a dude who choked and beat a pregnant woman, and now threatened his fiance on tape, which I never defended that. I think anyone who's followed me on social media or listened to the podcast knows that I've been very critical of Tyreek Hill for the audio. Um, nor did I defend him, nor, I mean, anyone, by the way, who knows me knows I'm not a homer at all. So again, I repeated to him, I said, so by asking him a question, about what he would do if he was the commissioner, he's resorting to calling me a homer and that I'm defending him. And Mike's la- the last thing I could see from Mike, he goes, before I block this guy, which is essentially showing his insecurity here, uh, he- he's just basically repeating that, he- he's basically insinuating that I'm defending Tyree Kill and being a homer uh, with all this. Then he went on to block me. Apparently, he kept saying things about me. I have also been told that he had deleted his tweets. I don't know what's going on. I can't see his account. I, I'm blocked. So I don't care about being blocked. I take issue with the fact that a journalist, a columnist, cannot accept his opinion to be challenged by a very simple question. I would, The question wasn't even 
it wasn't even provoking. It wasn't trolling. Nothing. I mean, I've I've had a lot of people. Even last podcast, I I said some things that a couple of people questioned on Twitter, and I responded. I mean, we can have a healthy discussion about these, even with a subject as sensitive as this with Tyree Kill. You can still have a logical discussion with someone you disagree with on this topic. Maybe not disagree on the on the subject of child abuse and how someone talks to another person, but you can have a valid discussion of what the NFL should do. That's what I was trying to do with Mike. <laughs> and a lot of and listen, I never asked people to come to my defense. I never did, never have, never will. Uh, but a lot of you guys got on Mike Freeman's case and said, dude, you you not only accused him of homerism and 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 uh, defending Tyreek Hill falsely, but you blocked him for a simple question. And apparently he, again, I can't see the tweets, but I've been told that he, he keeps changing the topic to Tyreek Hill abusing his uh, girlfriend in college while pregnant with their kid. So Mike Freeman doesn't like tough questions, apparently. I didn't think it was anything tough, but... Uh, I, I guess he's uh, he's upset by that. Uh, first off, let me just say this. I, I've admitted many times I've I jumped to conclusions. Even right now, it looks like Tyreek Hill is in the clear, but we still truly don't know. Maybe Tyreek Hill did do something and we just don't know. We truly don't know right now. Uh, the audio, I mean, yeah, that's... Um, I mean, that's a threat right there to tell someone that they should be terrified of you. That is a threat, and the NFL is going to suspend him for that. That's unacceptable. Uh, that is definitely a violation there, and the NFL is going to do something about it for sure. But as far as wanting to assume that he's guilty of child abuse, I mean, look, we. I thought that... Let, let me say one thing. The biggest reason I thought that, the biggest reason I guess I jumped to conclusions... Tyreek Hill did say that he's the only one that gets physical with his son. In the letter from the attorney, he clarified what it means to, quote, get physical. Apparently, it's dressing up as superheroes and and basically playing pretend fight, where you're not really punching each other, but you're lightly touching him on the shoulder, tagging him on the shoulder to play pretend. Uh, apparently Tyreek Hill thinks that's getting physical. It's not. That is a very poor choice of words. I just wish in the letter the attorney would have said, hey, my client completely misspoke. It was bad choice of words on his part, but they didn't want to say that. Uh, that's the reason I thought he um, he was guilty of child abuse, or he should be guilty. What I thought at the time, to clarify. But everybody just wants the league to go ahead and ban Tyreek Hill and move on. And again, that's why I, I asked Mike. I said, "Dude, what would you do if you're the commissioner?" He he he, can, he if he responded with, "Yeah, I would ban him." Well, then my follow-up would have been, "Okay, but there's no proof of it." And at that point, Mike Freeman, I mean, that would have been another tough question challenging his challenging his opinion, excuse me. And I guess Mike Freeman has too big of an ego to accept any question. Look, you're a columnist for Bleacher Report, all right? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Is Bleacher Report struggling for attention these days? Are their columnists in peril of losing their jobs? I don't know. Uh, maybe Freeman needed to spark a little bit of uh, fire to gain attraction. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what happened there, but maybe he's having a bad day, and he, he went off on me. I mean, 
I've had many bad days in my life, but I don't go off on people on social media when we're discussing things. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but that's just me, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I've never had an issue with Mike Freeman. For him to talk like that, to just accuse me of homerism and defending Hill. All right, dude. Uh, I mean, I, a lot of people responded to it. I saw some of the responses before I got blocked. It, it, a lot of it was Chiefs fans saying, dude, it was a simple question, but I also saw some non-Chiefs fans, people who uh, who don't really have a dog in the fight, essentially. They said, hey, look, the, the dude just asked you a simple question. I mean, WTF. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not sure why Mike Freeman went that direction, but that's uh, a question for him. But I suppose if he asks that, you'll get blocked as well. Uh, by the way, uh, Sue Stone was on the podcast. He gave a shout-out to Jared McMullen. And Jared, actually, uh, who's a friend of mine on, on Twitter, uh, he actually sent a great tweet. He said, hi, Mike Freeman, attacking him. Why did you delete all of your tweets when people challenge you on your opinions? Are you that resistant to growth and learning through a civil discussion? Are you the type to storm out of a room when you don't get your way? See, the, the, Mike Freeman loves to criticize Donald Trump, who doesn't like it when he doesn't get things his way. Mike Freeman's the same way. I mean, I, I don't understand the criticism of Trump when you're basically doing the same thing. But again, uh, that's uh, I, I digress. That's far from the point. Let me just say this, though. I did say in the beginning of the podcast, this is worthy of a discussion about journalism. Let me say something. Do you guys remember when Jason Whitlock was on his way out of Kansas City? He had this weird sabbatical with the Kansas City Star. Did not write anything for months, I think. And people started to catch on in, 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 in Kansas City. He was let go, and Jason Whitlock went on Nick Wright's radio show at the time on 610, and it was simulcast on Metro Sports, and they took questions from people through the text line. I think they only took like two or three questions, and I sent mine in multiple times because I really wanted to, to get asked. I said, my, I, was, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school at the, or in uh, college at the time. My question was, for people who want to get in media, what is your advice? And one thing Jason Whitlock said was, be fair. Look at both sides. You can have a strong opinion, but you've got to also represent both sides and explain why you think your your opinion is more accurate or your prediction is going to be accurate and it's better than the other sides. Mike Freeman doesn't want to do that. He only wants to see one side of it and only one side only and anyone who disagrees with him, which was... I wasn't necessarily disagree. I, I, well, I do disagree with his take, but my question didn't indicate any agreement or nor disagreement. But even if it did, if you are a columnist for a big media outlet like Bleacher Report or ESPN or even the Kansas City Star, if someone disagrees with you, that's a good thing. A columnist is not. No one is supposed to agree. 100% of the time with a columnist. Do you think Sam Ellinger would have a job if he took the safe route with every column and just said generic things to make it agreeable for everybody? No. He wouldn't be doing his job. No columnist would be doing their job properly if they did it that way. However, if someone disagrees with you, if your readers disagree with you, and I think one of the best things about social media, you can interact with people in the media a lot more now. But apparently some people don't like that kind of interaction, like Mike Freeman. And I guess he has a history of doing similar things to, to people who disagree with him before, before, I, uh, before my interaction with him. 
whatever. But let me just say this. In journalism, if you're going to be a columnist, if you want to be a heavily opinionated person, go for it. But be open-minded to the fact that your opinions are not always going to be right. And you can have logical discussions with people who disagree with you. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of that kind of conversation in our world today. There is a fantastic book. It is called The Death of Expertise, written by Tom Nichols. And at one point in the book, he talks about how do you know if the discussion you're having with someone is an informed discussion? And I think that is something that we need to be aware of. Because if you want to just have a conversation with people, only with people who agree with you, well, then you're never going to see the other side of things in this world ever. And that's an issue. So, for guys like Mike Freeman who only want people to interact with, he only wants interaction when it's in favor of his opinion, that is where he's wrong. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people in not just sports media, obviously this is big in politics, um, but even outside of politics, this is a very common thing. You know what I've been criticized a lot for on this podcast? A lot of people say that I don't ever bring on a guest who I disagree with or have maybe a little bit of a a debate with. Let me tell you something. When I want to bring on a guest, I let them know what we're going to talk about. I don't ever surprise them with anything. But let me just say something in defense to that because I've never addressed that criticism before. I have actually tried very hard many times to bring on someone. And I told them, I said, look, well, I never said this part necessarily. I assume they know this. I mean, we don't have to necessarily fight about it on on a, on a podcast. But I have actually tried very hard to bring on writers or radio people who maybe have a completely different stance than me on something. I said, hey, uh, I, I disagree with you on the subject. I think we, we can have a great conversation about it if you come on my podcast. They decline. They don't do it. Because I guess in today's world with podcasts and radio uh, guest interviews, if you're going to bring someone on, you need to, it, it would go against guest etiquette. I don't know. I mean, I just made that up, but I guess it's not proper to bring someone on who you disagree with because the guest who's coming on is making time for you and he doesn't want to have a sparring session with you, which I think is stupid. I mean, come on, we, we've got to have discussions to, for disagreement sometimes. Uh, People won't do it, though. They won't do it because who knows why. So I've tried that before, and people don't want to do it. And again, I think that's an issue in journalism. You have a very heavy opinion, but when when someone's asking you to come on the podcast to defend your side and maybe hear out the other side, you don't want to do it. Why? It's all for discussion. It's not meant to... Be anything more or anything less. It's not meant to create a heated argument. It's not meant to provoke anyone into hating someone just because of a difference of opinion. Do you know, I have a lot of people who criticize me for a lot of opinions. Now, some people come on and they act like a jerk about it and... It's like, you know, okay, I ignore them or I block them. I get complaints, by the way. Oh, you block people? Well, those people know why they get blocked. But I get a lot of people who disagree with me on things, and we have a rational discussion about it. 
like normal human beings. Shocking, right? It's hard to do in 2019, but it's doable. But for some people, like Mike Freeman, it's an impossible thing to do. And I've had a lot of people message me and say, hey man, I, I like what you do. I want to be in, in, in sports media one day, or I, I just want to do a blog or, or a podcast. And I go, awesome. They ask for advice. One piece of advice, I tell them what Jason Whitlock responded in my, in my text when he was on 610. Be fair, have a strong opinion, but be fair for both sides. No one is saying defend child abuse in the Tyreek Hill situation. No one is saying defend what he did in college to his girlfriend at the time while pregnant. That's what Mike Freeman wanted to focus on. He didn't want to focus on what would he do if he was a commissioner. Too tough of a question, apparently. Don't be like Mike Freeman, kids. If you guys have any thoughts on that, hey, I'm always open to the discussion. Facebook.com slash Farzimbazugan. Twitter.com slash Farzim21. I just asked one thing. If you hear this conference, if you hear this topic from me, I am I do not want any of you going after Mike Freeman in a malicious way. That's not what I want, nor am I asking for that. If you want to criticize him for not being open to a discussion, go for it. But nothing more than that is all I ask. Uh, again, I'm not asking you guys to even say anything to him. It's just up to you if you want to. But if you're going to do it because of what I just said, don't do it in a harmful manner. Plus, if you do go after him anyway, in a kind manner, he probably will block you. Just to just to give you a heads up. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Misugin. Big thanks to all of you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit the share button as well. Spread the podcast to your friends and also interact with me on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Next episode going to come out on Friday. I know I promised to go over the five spots that we could have the NFL draft in KC. I wasn't going to do that this, this episode. Instead, we're going to do it next episode. So we will talk about that on Friday's podcast. Plus, we'll have our closing segments and much more. Again, my name is Farjun Misugi, and big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Enjoy the rest of your week.